Spot. The Beat Spot. up everybody it's me the Don B that is at the Don B on all the platforms miss you guys what's going on it's only been a week but you know every week every day without you is an eternity um the drama I know but it's the wee hours of the morning I this is my third recording of the day and I have had a lot of tequila um since I've been cutting back on my alcohol intake I forget that I am no longer um, 15, <laughs> and my tequila intake has, you know, decreased. So I might struggle through this intro, but we're family here. I felt like this was a safe space, but like I could, you know, share that with you guys. You know, we're all on the journey. But yeah, this week, um, this episode, man, it's well. First of all, I'm doing a three-parter because this guest was way too big to just throw in one episode. Um, this was a real, like, kind of affirmation, manifesting, you know, insert neo-spiritualist uh, colloquialism here. I have wanted to get this person on the show, but I always said I would have them down the line, right? Because I respect this person's work. I've listened to so much, you know, of their their work, their interviews with legendary artists, um, the books, other podcasts they've been on. I've just been a fan for a while, quietly in the background, and it was exciting enough when we followed each other on Twitter. I was like, you know, clicking my heels for joy. But then when I actually secured this interview for him to actually come on the show, I was like, wow, this is part of my three-year plan. I was like, oh, in a few years, once I have like, you know, the footing and I'm quote unquote somebody, um, I'll have them on. But again, here we are. So it's been a blessing. Um, I just want to kind of stop, park there for a little bit and not get preachy, but I do feel like we, I have a hard time being like, oh, I'll have, I'll do this when that happens. I'll take care of this then. And your big break comes at you all the time. Conversations that you need to have come at you all the time. Things you want to do can come at any time. You don't have to feel prepared or whatever your idea of prepared is. Because a lot of time it's self-sabotage. And you're just putting off the inevitable. And you're ready. When you when the idea came to you, yes, you need to take it, nurture it, make sure you, you know, clean it up some. But it wouldn't come to you if you didn't have it now in your power to make it come to fruition. So just want to throw that out there. Um, again, I'm not going to get on my soapbox because we I do a lot of that in this episode. Um, but Mr. Craig Seymour is a legend in the writing game. And again, um, I know a lot of his stuff from Vibe Magazine, but there were just so many different articles. And I, um, I'll get into, you know, how I discovered him and all the different things um, in the episode. So I want to spoil it here, but... I'm just, yeah, really excited. This was um, uh, definitely a monumental moment in my career thus far um, in my life. Like, I, it's crazy when you admire somebody and then it's like, oh my gosh, I'm talking to this person. Like, and this person is one degree away from like so many superstars. So it just 
felt very affirming that I was, you know, even in the midst of somebody like this. So super excited. I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. This is part one. So what we actually did was we actually um, broke down This Is Pop, which is the Netflix um, special that's going. It's like a um, docuseries. Um, we broke that down on part two, but we talked so much that I had to create three separate episodes because I wanted to give justice to our conversation because I felt like I just I learned a lot. And I want you guys to learn. I think you'll enjoy it immensely. So um, this is part one. I hope you guys enjoy. We're just getting to know each other on here and just going over some of our musical tastes and kind of how we got to where we are with things and kind of like background history, stuff like that. Some fun music selections in here for you, as always, because you know how we do. And yeah, you guys enjoy. is brought to you thanks in part to our friends over at Studio SMV. Studio SMV is not only your complete video and photography rental studio facility, but also offers great photo and video service for all your needs, including social media, business, and personal. Studio SMV is also a network membership studio club that allows media creators, photographers, producers, and directors a chance to become a member and get discounts on studio rentals, classes, gear, talent, and services. So if you are just starting out in the industry or a professional looking for a studio to rent and call home, Studio SMV is the place for you. So head on over to studiosmv.com for more information and make sure to follow them on Instagram at Studio SMV. Now back to the show. All right, guys, we are back. And as promised, without further ado, I'm so excited, um, as I told you guys earlier, about um, potential guest opportunities that were coming up. Um, this one really kind of takes the cake. Uh, <laughs> um, full transparency. I have, like, my wish list that I wrote out for the show of, like, oh, people I want to have on and dream guests and a topic associated with each person. And I was like, oh, next year I'll get this person or in a couple of years. Once I'm like, you know, out there like that with this one. Um, and boom, here we are. So <laughs> I have none other than the Craig Seymour on the line with me right now. Glad to be here. I am so excited to have you. Um, yes, and that is not like a thing. I really do have like outlines of things that I write out. Because um, I get ideas constantly all the time. I do several different things image consultant and then we have our studio here so we do a lot of productions like video photos stuff like that and then i have the media side and so i'm just constantly writing down ideas and sometimes they're for right now sometimes they're down the line and i was like you know what one of these days i'm gonna have uh <laughs> Craig Seymour on and just pick his brain about like his, his musical taste and everything um and yeah, it was definitely like a next year kind of a down the line thing when I'm like, you know, somebody. But I guess that day is today. So hey, no time like the present. Let's buckle up, y'all. Um, <laughs> my listeners know that it can be a wild ride, so prepare yourself. Um, no, it's gonna be fun. But um, I just wanted to give a little back background about my introduction to you, and then I'll let you kind of like, you know, summarize, you know, yourself, if you will. But my initial introduction to you actually was you were on the Mariah Report. Um, mm -hmm. it's a podcast that's a Mariah Carey uh, stand podcast basically um, but not I hate you use it like that because they, they actually are really good it's not like um, you know it's not like a typical little stand accounts where it's just useless information it's just you know silly stuff they actually do deep dives and they are real true lambs so I love that that podcast and then I heard you were a guest on there and you guys referencing the Mariah Carey interview that you did 
late nineties? Was this butterfly? It was rainbow, it was rainbow era? era. It okay. was rainbow era. Okay. Yeah. So probably ninety nine. Yes. 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 Okay. So um, yeah. So that that led me to go listen to that, and I was like, oh my gosh, I love this, and that led me to a deep dive even further, and then the Luther Vandross documentary. I've listened to him so many times, more times than somebody should, because Luther is like, we'll get there, but I love him so much. Um, and so, yeah, I just went to, I went, I was like, oh, YouTube, and then Cher, and all these iconic <laughs> moments, and I was like, oh my gosh, it was like a, literally like Alice in Wonderland, down the rabbit hole, so, um, and that was a couple of years ago now that you were on that show, so I've been kind of just listening ever since, and then. Um, well, I appreciate that. For sure, I found you on Twitter, we've, you know just kind of you know follow a little back and forth and just like i just love what you put out so thank I'm, you i'm gonna stop with my spiel and i'm gonna let you talk <laughs> well i just i mean i'm you know overwhelmed that that would that that um intro i don't know what to say after that but i just really appreciate your support and um i try to keep sort of the um I mean, so much of what's happened in the past musically relates to what happens today. So I try to keep putting out um, things to give people context and, you know, whether it's an old interview, right. an audio or whether or not it's like a print review or just something like that or whether or not it, it might not even be by me. But I just try to keep that um, spirit alive, not to the extent of nostalgia, because I think nostalgia is about um looking back on something with kind of like a rosy lens, but really mm. in the sense of just showing people, this is what it was like, you know, this was the article written about this person in 1993 or 1973 or 1963 or whatever. And just so that people can read it themselves yeah. and really get a sense of what it was like, because so much, so many times when we look back on pop culture and we try to re evaluate things, it just becomes very distorted from how things actually were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. That's so well said. Um, it is like, you know, nostalgia is kind of looking back on things like, oh, remember when? And it's like that, you know, the rose-colored glasses, if you will. Um, but you, when you keep the interviews alive and the clips and things like that, it kind of, like, not humanizes, but it just keeps the context for what those situations were so that you can fully understand it, you know, going forward. Like, it's, I'm in what I'm, I say my uncle age. I guess I'm fully embracing it now. And I, I'm officially at that age <laughs> where, like, everything is getting, like, covered and sampled. And I'm like, oh, wow. Now I see what <laughs> right. my parents and my aunts were talking about when I said, oh, I love this song. And they're like, boy, that's nothing but the Isis Brothers. This and like, the, yeah. oh, my God, nobody cares about that. This song is everything. Now I'm like, oh, yeah, that's literally what that is. <laughs> And you know, sometimes it's good and sometimes it's bad. I mean, it, it, I, I'm not saying mm. good or bad, but sometimes it's sometimes like a sample is used very well, and sometimes a sample is used just because they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get a little play off the mm -hmm. familiarity of the song. You right. know what I mean? And Capitalizing I think on nostalgia. Exactly. And I think that's the key um, distinction. I mean, I remember when it happened to me when in the 90s and with hip-hop and everything you know the 90s used to just sample a whole lot of 70s stuff and i grew mm -hmm. up with that because i'm um i'm in my 50s but you know there were a lot of songs that i weren't wasn't as familiar with or it was nice to hear them again after 20 some years or whatever mm -hmm. so that was cool but like when puffy started sampling like upside down for mc light and i'm yeah. coming out for biggie and stuff like that it was kind of like 
Okay. You know, it took me a little minute to get into <laughs> it just because it was a song that was so familiar to me, you know. Right. And then now we have that weird thing of stuff in the 90s, much of which was sampled, um, coming back in a totally new form, which is a whole other level of um, strangeness. But, you know, know, if it's done right, I don't always – like, I'm not – for example, like with the new Normani song, I'm not hearing Aaliyah all throughout the whole thing while I'm listening to it because I really do like the song and I really think they they use the sample well. So I'm not sitting there thinking – Wow, this is really like one of a million, you know. But like a lot, a lot of times, and I can't really think of any specific examples. And I don't want to throw people under the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, but was it now? And now I'm about to do that. But like, we're, oh, <laughs> look, we're honest here. We're honest here. What was that song? Didn't K. Michelle have a song like "Can You Stand the Pain" or something like that? That was just yes. Like that was really just new edition. Can you stand the right? Like right. if if it's so on the nose, I like it's with the music the, mm-hmm. and the melody mm-hmm. and the chorus, that's just something that I personally am not that. I mean, I think she, she sings her butt off, and I think she did a good job with the song. Yeah, it's just a little bit. I agree. I agree. You know, that it's literally um, and it's like, okay, so what did we contribute here? No shame. Right. Like, and just cover the, case, the song. Just like, cover that'd have been cool. Song. Yeah, that'd, that'd been perfectly cool. Because so. I live for a cover if it's done right. But yeah, this is a fine line with me with samples as well. Um, yeah, we're we are in some very weird uh, uh, reality where like the all the '90s songs are being sampled not very well for the most part, but keeping it a buck. 
Um, and those songs were sampled and or referenced. So it's like, ooh, where does this even begin? Yeah. Um, and I feel like I don't want to, I do, I want to bring Normani up. Um, we're going to have paperclip her because I want to have a kind of, before I let you go, a quick chat about like the new kids. Okay. Um, if you will, quote unquote. And I have, I, I like the Normani song. So I'm glad you like it too. We're going to get into it. And I agree with your stance on it. That is a sample that's well used because I didn't catch it immediately. When I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, I love this. And then I watched it a second time and I was like, oh, that's the one in a million beat. Like, it it took me a second because I was into the video at first. listening to the snippet and so from the snippet people got that it was one in a million i did not get that it was one in a million from the snippet and i've been listening to mm. her little ig snippet for quite a you know i was listening <laughs> to her ig snippet so much that one time like i was singing i was like what's the song i wanna get why it's like oh damn that's a new more normality the song ain't even out yet and yeah. i'm walking around i was singing you know? the words. But yeah, but it didn't initially register to me either. So you're not alone in that. Um, and that's a good thing, I think, you know, it, when you're thinking about the way that, because um, at the end of the day, a track is a track, but it's about how um, the verses and the choruses and the way that somebody sings over it, that kind of reorients yourself toward the track. So if that's done in a um, creative enough manner, you should be listening to the melody and all that kind of stuff and not listening to the Timberlands, you know, 20, 30 year old double beats in the background. You know? Right. Exactly. Hilarious. But yes, I don't, don't, I want to get started and wound up on Ramani because I, I have a lot to say about that record. And um, okay, I well, do want to get like your take on okay. um, that. So we'll paperclip that one. Um, I do want to ask you, um, I asked this from a lot of people because I love like the makeup of people. I love their origin stories, like uh -huh. how you got to be like, you know, who you are. Not so many words. And uh, I remember this interview that RuPaul did. Don't remember who it was for, but they I think it was for like uh, Vogue magazine or L magazine. It was filmed. Um and they asked him like, you know, what is the RuPaul character? Like what what how'd you come up with it? And he was like, well, it's about, you know, two parts Anna Ross and three parts <laughs> Brown and, you know, a dash of so-and-so here and a little bit of, you know, Mae West here. And I was just like, oh, that's a really good way to, like, describe. Because I feel like I am very hard to nail down because I'm just so all over the place. And I have so many influences and, you know, I've lived many places and I just have a lot of influences that got me kind of here. So I want to ask you, like, what makes up Craig... Seymour, the artiste, because you are an artist. What you do is art. Thank you. You know, I mean, it just really all comes from 
black music. You know, it just mm-hmm. all comes from, like I said, I was born in 1968 and um, everybody in my family, I just posted a, a video on Twitter yesterday that shows me trying to break into the record cabinet when I was like, because back then the record, back then, you know, um, a lot of people don't realize this, but um, turntables were sold like with your furniture. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't well, yeah. a separate thing. It was like you bought a cabinet that had a turntable built into it and within the cabinet you had slots for records and everything like that and that was the whole thing uh, um the music industry was inextricably linked to the furniture industry mm-hmm. so there's an early video wow, of you trying to break like that yeah it was you know you'd buy your records and you'd buy i don't know a throw pillow but right. anyway <laughs> um you know so like there's a video of me kind of opening the door of the um of the the where they where the music was kept with it which i obviously wasn't supposed to do but basically music has always been a part of my life and i've always oriented myself um through music you know that's always been my portal toward understanding everything important in my life whether it's love whether it's um relationships you know when i um you know, felt that I was gay, you know, Mm -hmm. that all, I turned to music to help me figure that out. I mean, that has always been um, sort of the touchstone for me. And also just because like, um, and music is also the way I think I feel most connected to just black culture and my ancestors and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, you know, we weren't even allowed to, as enslaved people, we weren't allowed to read, you know, yeah. we could hum, you know, we could hum, we can make up some stuff, we could mm-hmm. chant, we could make a beat, even if we didn't have a drum, we could beat on something. You know what I mean? So it's like, I also feel like black music is the original African-American art form. Yes. So I just feel very um, connected to that tradition. And so what happened was I was a grad student for a while and I was writing um, and, you know, studying history and all this kind of stuff. But of course it always just kept coming around to music. And then I just kind of had an epiphany where I just decided I didn't want to write about music in a way that was just for academics. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? It's like, I didn't buy my uh, public enemy records at the library. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I wasn't dancing at the club on campus. You know, these were things that were happening outside of school, but yet the way that they were teaching me how to write was such a way that the only people that were in school would even understand what I was writing about. Mm -hmm. And I really just decided that that wasn't the life that I wanted so I took a kind of break from school and um, just really went full throttle into just learning the art of journalism, you know, mm-hmm. and just learning the art of criticism. And um, all this was just a great era. This was like the early 90s where there were so many great black writers, because the other thing people have to realize is that when you look at the history of black music um, up to hip hop, most of what has been written about black music up until hip hop was written by white critics, right? You know, like downbeat magazine, which was the preeminent jazz magazine. Most of those writers were white, but when hip hop came in, because most of the white people that did were critics were, came up through rock. They didn't understand what the heck was going on. They needed black writers to write about it. So then you get mm-hmm. the greats like the Nelson Georges, um, 
you get who had been doing R&B for a while and stuff, but he just kind of was able to flourish in the hip hop era. You get people like Greg Tate, um, Dream, um, I mean, um, Danielle Smith and people like that. The mm-hmm. person I always connected to the most is um, Dream Hampton. And you can get everything on There's so much stuff on her website and everything like that. But she always wrote very personally about her connection to the music. And the reason that was important to me, and, and she wrote that kind of from a black feminist point of view. So it'd be kind of like, you know, I like this, but you know, it's mm-hmm. not, I'm not trying to have, you know, but they're, <laughs> but she would she would break down, you know, she would not let anybody off the hook right. for their sexism. And she was like best friends with Biggie. Like they before he was even big. I mean, they like hung out and went to the movies and stuff like that. But wow. she wouldn't let anybody off the hook. And for me as a black gay man going into this environment, I felt like that way of being personal about the music was my only route because I also couldn't pretend that stuff wasn't there when it was. Do you know what I mean? Right. I, I had to have a way of um, dealing with that. And I think that her um, approach really, really um, touched me. And she's just a beautiful writer. So, I mean, I always have to throw out to her because she really not only helped me learn how to write, which mm-hmm. a lot of people did, I, I mean, in terms of reading their work, but she also taught me the possibilities of how criticism could be an art in and of itself and also a form of a personal expression. Well, I love that. I love hearing like um, your influence, how you, your style, because I do see that with your um, your writing style and your interviewing style. Um, you have a way of like connecting with people so that like five minutes into it, um, it's like, are two friends talking and yeah it comes from like you knowing your research knowing the, the music knowing exactly what you want to talk about and keeping it about that you know um i'm so I glad think... you said oh, i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you no you you, you go ahead no, no no uh it's it's just that's it it was just that i feel like you are so good at doing that and it, it lets people have their guard down immediately when you're talking about something a they're good at and b they're passionate about but a lot of people, you, they're already thinking you're coming into it, trying to get the tea, you know? Yeah. Who's dating who? I heard about your divorce, girl. You know, it's like all that. And it's like, I'm very much, I feel like I'm very much the same way. Like, because I'm an image consultant here in Orlando. So um, I do a lot oh, of Orlando. wardrobe for, um, um, like, artists and models, fashion shows and stuff. And, you know, obviously having to deal with men, straight men, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Rappers, things like that. Like. I'm not going to come on putting some kind of front on that I'm acting kind of different. I'm going to be myself, but I always know who I'm dealing with ahead of time and find a way to connect with them. And it's usually through their art. So I'll be like, Oh, I heard this song. I love it. Right this part here. Where'd you get this part from? It sounded kind of like this, like actually knowing what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. People immediately like put their guard down. Like, okay, this person is cool. Like whatever. So sorry, go ahead. What were you going to No, say? that's fine. It's just making me think I miss Orlando so much. Cause I, um, for most of the last decade, I lived in Miami and Orlando. Oh. I, I love Universal. So I always had a pass to Universal. So anytime I was feeling, you know, stressed or anything mm-hmm. like that, I was right on the highway headed to Universal and stuff like that. And um, I love the Ethiopian food in Orlando, too. So, nice, yeah, I miss nice. it. That's definitely one place I, I want to go back. But, yeah, you know, the thing about the, at the interviews, people always say, oh, it sounds so easy breezy and everything like that. And that's great, and that's how it's supposed to sound, but 
it's really based upon, you know, like when I did my Janet Jackson interview, um, mm-hmm. I read every single thing, literally every single thing written about her before I even went into that first interview. Same thing with Mariah. You know, I did mm-hmm. – um, at this point, I was working at Vibe, so it was good. I could have people just pull research files for me, mm-hmm. and I read every single thing about them because – I never wanted to ask them a question that had already been asked. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, like if I already knew how she felt about her grandmother or just whatever, I didn't want to ask that question. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that helps with the interviews too, because I'm not just, they're not just going over the same old thing. And Janet would always say to me, Oh, nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever asked me that. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, cause I've researched for the dinner <laughs> two damn weeks just yeah. to make sure <laughs> that I wouldn't ask you the same question. Yeah. You know? That's smart. But um, and that and also really just get into the other thing is that I've never really taken assignments that I'm not personally invested in. So mm-hmm. I care about Mariah's music. I'm a Mariah fan. Um, I like some better than others, but still, I'm mm-hmm. a I'm a fan of her, and I definitely am a person that appreciates her artistry and appreciates, you know the risks and sort of um, creative challenges that she takes on that she would not necessarily have to take on at the um, height, especially at the height she was in in the 90s. Mm-hmm. So I think it really comes from researching because no matter how big of a stand you are and all that kind of stuff, it's just amazing how um, much you can find out researching that maybe you just forgot or hadn't yeah. put it in the right context or whatever. And then just like immersing yourself um, in the music. Cause like I was living in DC when I did the Mariah interview mm-hmm. and I still have the CD of that I was listening to. Cause at this point people probably remember, but you, you know, you listen to music on like your little seat, your disc man. I remember. And I had burned a CD of, the Mariah songs, you know, just to get me in this particular frame of mind. So it was a lot of the remixes, a lot of the dance songs, things that were uh-huh. all compiled at the time, yes. just to get me into the frame of mind as I took that train trip. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing that I would say, just anybody journalist listening to this, um, I also write all my questions out on index cards. And I have all my questions and I go over them and go over them and go over them. But I rarely, re- I rarely refer to them when I'm talking to the person, because it's very important to maintain um, eye contact. Mm-hmm. So I also know my questions so well that I can kind of just make it a conversation yeah. as opposed to making it this, and you know, and because I know my questions so well, if it seems like somebody's going to another part, it, it seems like the conversation's taking a turn, I can easily flip to that part of my questions you know, in my mind without yep. even having to look at him. And then what I always do, though, is just like you asked me, you know, about time. I always have like with every interview, there's like maybe four or five questions that you cannot not ask. Like these mm-hmm. are the questions that no matter what you need to ask, but they tend to be the more challenging questions. So you don't want to lead off to them. Right. So I always have like some index cards with like a little red mark on it, a little check so that if a publicist comes in and goes, okay, you only have five more minutes or you only have one more question. I can immediately flip to that, flip to the things that I know that I have to ask and um, 
so that's the way I can kind of let things be loose for the majority of it, but still get the job done and not get screamed at by my editor when I get when I turn the piece in. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I totally, like I said, I can totally see that um, that route that you take, and you do such a good job. Like the Mariah interview, which again, I'm gonna try to restrain myself with Mariah. Um, I told myself I'm allowing one Mariah question and one Luther question <laughs> because that could turn into a roller coaster of emotions. So I'm just like keeping it cute, um, being professional. Um, but I did see that, like you, like you talked the bulk about like the dance remixes and the stuff she did with David uh, Morales and stuff. And I, you could tell like nobody really asked for that stuff. And I, yeah, I feel like you can't tell me anything that I haven't heard before already. I'm listening to Mariah for it most of the time. I love them, but I'm like, mm, are we sure it was that? And they're great. They have their facts down. But I am checking the whole way because I just, I'm just that kind of person. I love that kind of stuff. Um, not so much about the the gossip and things about the lies, but just like career deep dives. And so I can tell you, like you know, what the video, what she had on, the performance right. at the VMAs, and then American Music Awards, the arrangement, background dances, who had what on. Like I remember all those little details. Um, and so uh, yeah, when you're talking about the dance music, I was like, wow, I don't know any of this stuff. And this is so interesting. Mm. I felt like the entire interview, I learned more. I walked away from that feeling like a whole new level, deeper level of appreciation uh, for her. And I think that's like, you know, Lamb Folklore, that's one of her, uh, Folklore, that's one of her best interviews, like, if not, like, the best one. Like, that makes me feel so good. Seriously. Because, <laughs> you know, it was stressful, and she was very, you know, Mariah-ish at mm-hmm. first with that interview. She definitely... Um, there's walls. We, we definitely had some awkward moments, yeah. And there's this part that you don't hear that was really... Um, awkward i think i talk about that in the mariah report but just you know we started off kind of on a bad tip Mm -hmm. but we were able to you know get back into it but um Mm -hmm. you know the thing about it is part of it is the fault of the um journalists for not doing more when they interviewed mariah but another part of it is just the way the music industry was set up because basically what would happen is when you reviewed an artist you would get the album well, and that's all you would get. Okay. Well, by the late 90s, the album in and of itself was only a minimal part of the story of an artist's era of an right. artist because by the you know by the time the album has finished its arc they had released multiple remixes and done different mm-hmm. types of things and so if you were only looking at the albums just like Mariah said you would think that oh my god this is so much more hip hop or oh, where's this dance stuff coming from yeah. but if you had seen the evolution of her remixes even from like the Shep Pettibone someday house mix, yep. you know, you would see it, it's, it's make, it's very organic, but the way yes. that they would send stuff to journalists would just be album, 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 album. So you, you know, they were missing a whole part and I guess they weren't invested enough in the music to um, seek it out. But I was exactly. the type of person that, you know, every single week, I'm in the record store. What's new? What's new? What's new? Oh, Mariah got some mixes. All right, let me get that. And, you know, so I'm spending my own money just because I'm a fan and I love dance music and I love the music. So I understood the culture because I lived the culture, whereas a lot of these rock critics that came up with rock, they didn't really want to be talking Mariah Carey anyway. And, you know, rock really is about that. I mean, the album is what you get. Nobody's, you know, Nirvana never dropped the, um, you know, 
Just Blaze remix. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, yeah. it is what it is. So you know, I think that's part of the. Um, I, I think that's part of the reason for. Um, she was also just surprised that somebody knew the music so well, and also you know, Mariah and I are kind of the same age. Mm-hmm. And although I grew up in D.C., I spent a lot of time of my life in New York because my grandmother's in fashion. So I'm very, very was schooled in New York radio and WBLS and everything like that. So, and KISS and um, WKTU. So Mariah and I also had the same references in terms of dance music. Mm -hmm. So we could talk about songs like Val Young's If You Should Ever Be Lonely. We could talk about um, Alicia Myers, you know, I want to thank you. just things like that that she references in her remixes that a lot of um like the white critics the white rock critics they just wouldn't know those songs you know but right we we both knew those songs you know i had seen brenda k star perform i mean i used to be a Mm -hmm. brenda k star fanatic as a teenager you know what i mean so yeah you know a lot of people didn't even know who she was with except for i still believe So just like things like that, I feel like connected me with um, Mariah. I think we're very, I think we have very similar musical tastes. I like that. That's I, you just gave me like a little nugget of information about only taking on the projects that you are personally invested in because it does make a difference. Um, but I mean, sometimes you need to eat. You know, I mean, sometimes you yeah. do need that coin. So like, right. I'm not hating on doing you know that, but that was what I felt like. And Jen, and the other thing about it is we're talking about a time in music where the biggest people in the industry were people that I liked. So it wasn't really as it wasn't that hard for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The law in the 2000s. Um, and when I started being a music critic at the Atlanta Journal Constitution, which is more of a mainstream magazine, I mean, I had to interview some people that um, and do some things that I wasn't necessarily that into. But usually I could find an angle because I'm interested in music and interested in the industry. I could usually find mm. some kind of angle that would make me connect. Like if I was interviewing a young rock band um People don't even remember them now, but like I spent a lot of time with um, Sum 42 and was like Huba Stank. I never meant to 
you know, uh, with them. I love saying. Yeah, but it was like it was this whole thing of just they were so young and so hungry and so yeah. um, so I could connect with that level, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember once I had to go um, Butch Walker, who really is much more of a got much more success as a producer with Avril Lavigne and people like that. But anyway, he was doing a solo project, um, and because he's from Atlanta, they wanted to do so. I've flew up to New York and I got to watch him make his first video and go to the set and all that kind of stuff. So even though he might not have been my favorite solo artist or anything, I learned a lot about the industry just watching how a video was put together. And I Mm -hmm. went with the stylist to go shopping and everything like that. So there are things that you can learn um, from an assignment that might not necessarily be, you know, your type of music or something. Right. Right. Yeah. I I definitely agree with that. Um, I'm, kind of similar when I have to talk to somebody um, who not necessarily I'm not pumped about because I love talking to people in general um, but if it's something like my style or something that's new to me um, I always try to I always try to get their music period because it's like I'm such a I'm a referential person everything to me is a reference to something and so if I can just listen to enough I'm like who does this person sound like remind me of what is this song kind of and then that's kind of my way in most of the time like oh this reminds me of this and if it's like yes or no if it's a no i can be like oh do you know who that person is and now we have a conversation you know and you know what's what's really great now that i wish i'd had when i was both a critic and um when i was interviewing people i think like the spotify and the title i don't have apple music so i don't know if they do this but i think the artist radio would be is such a great tool for critics because Mm -hmm. sometimes if you just listen to the artist you can kind of think um that they're working in a vacuum. But when you listen to the artist radio, you can kind of, especially if it's a genre that you're not necessarily that familiar with, you can really see how their music is in conversation with all of these other songs. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of really get a sense more of the genre and how that person sticks out in the genre, as opposed to just listening to that person's music. So I like that. I would have definitely used that a lot if, um, if that tool had been available when I was working, but of course it wasn't, but (laughs) No, for sure, for sure. Pandora, I feel like I don't yeah. think they were the first ones to be on that way, but I feel like that's the first I was when they first were like super hot, I had Pandora. Um and yeah, the the like related artists or whatever, all that, I was like, Oh wow, I guess they never thought this, you know what I mean? It really yeah. streamlines like who does how this person fits in amongst these other people and that kinda like gives you a different kind of take on the music. So right. I definitely get that. Yeah, shout out to Pandora. I didn't mean to. Um, I never had Pandora, but my mom always had Pandora, so I think it's because she was always playing. I don't know, whatever. It's a Pandora eraser for me. They had um, the, <laughs> They definitely did. You know, were um, they definitely were on that wave before. Um, and you know, also with me, I tend to not like people. Pl- I tend to like want to play what I want to play and not have somebody um else play something yes. but you know it's just over time occasionally you know i couldn't hit that button fast enough and spotify mm-hmm. or title would play something i'd be like okay that's kind of nice and then they play another song i'd be like what and i another song i'd be like who's behind <laughs> this you know what don't they wear you down <laughs> gremlins in my machine you know read my mind so Listen. yeah so it definitely won me over yeah, they it, it definitely wore me. I was not a fan. Like I went to skip, and the next thing I was like, "You exceed the skips allowed." I'm like, "Don't tell me what I can play and what I can't play." But yeah, right. over time, it's like, "Okay, I'm feeling this." Yep, you're right. You're right. I wanted to hear that too. <laughs> <laughs>
No, I love it. Okay. Hey guys, this episode is also sponsored by WXSJ97.3, Miami's new number one hit station. They provide an exclusive opportunity for radio airplay through their network of radio stations worldwide. Social media promotion packages are also available. So if you are an artist who's ready to take their career to the next level, head over to WXSJ97.3.com for more information and we will see you at the top. All right, you guys, thank you so much for joining us again this week. That is the end of part one. I know it was just getting good, so it means you just got to tune in to part two next week, I guess. Why don't you? But no, I was enjoying uh, talking to him so much. So um, it's going to be worked the way, you know, we get, like I said, a three-part series going. So the second part next week, we're really going to dive into the actual um, episodes of This Is Pop and kind of dissect our feelings on that and kind of get in-depth with that. So super exciting stuff coming on the way um, once again. Thank you for joining us yet again on the V-Spot. I am, uh, can't say my name. Thank you yet again for joining us on the V Scott. As usual, it is me, the Don B. Um, please take a moment, if you will, to leave a positive review um, on whatever podcast platform you listen to this through. Um, that would be really nice. And if you're really feeling generous, you can slap me with a five-star rating because, I mean, I will do the same for you if the roles were reversed. I mean, I'd appreciate it. So, yes, leave a review, tell somebody to tell somebody, and send me an email. You guys can hit me at um, thedonb at gmail.com. If you want to send me some suggestions on what you want to hear me cover or any artists um, that you think I should reach out to, or if you're an artist and you want like to come on and have a spotlight done, I'd be happy to talk to you. So again, that's uh, ddonb at gmail.com, as well as at ddonb on all platforms. Um, follow us, WXSJ97.3 Radio on all platforms um, as well, and shout out to Independent Dream Factory um, on all platforms. Book your free consultation today on the website, and I think I covered all the basis shout out to the home base studio smv and yeah that's a lot of things all right we love everybody we will see you guys next week the b-spot podcast is not endorsed by any performing artist mentioned in this program it is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only All names, pictures, and audio clips are registered trademarks and or copyrights of the respective trademark and copyright holders. The Beastpot Podcast is brought to you by the Independent Dream Factory. It is produced, mixed, mastered, and hosted by Don B. Our theme song is The Beastpot by Shawn Michael.
the B-Spot. <laughs>